This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today is part two of a conversation between two philosophers of very different worldviews. Atheist Professor Graham Oppie, Professor of Philosophy at Monash University, and Christian Believer, Professor Greg Restall, who is Professor of Philosophy at the University of Melbourne. Now, in part one, we discussed some of the method and content for our discussions about God and sharpened our own concepts and understanding on this big question. But we'll kick off part two this week with a question from our text line from our live audience asking you, Graham, what's an argument against God that you find convincing? So... I, I, there isn't one, was, is the short answer. Uh, I think that ultimately the kind of disagreement that we've got is one that's going to come down to a whole lot of different judgments that you make that add up. And I've, in a couple of books that I've written, I've tried to sort of set out some of the range of judgments that I make that sort of add up to my holding the naturalistic worldview that I do. But any attempt to do that is incomplete you can't you actually can't sort of carry it out as a completed project so you end up saying something like well um, the way I see it this is how all the bits that I can that I'm talking about now fit together Mm. and if you compare it with what other people say it seems to be doing just as well in terms of explaining stuff and maybe it's a little bit simpler in a couple of places and overall you know my, my judgment is that makes it better but other people are going to disagree. Mm. That's so there's no like one that. argument necessarily. No. But it, what, what, what pushes you to, to non-belief then, I suppose, more so than, than belief? Because Greg's obviously got a few reasons for why he believes. So what, are there any okay. reasons or things that okay. push so, you to non-belief? So, so there's a thousand reasons that people give for believing in God. These days you can find lots and lots of um, arguments and considerations. And when I consider them point by point... I think that for each of each of the things that comes up, I have a way of explaining it at slightly less cost. And when you're sort of working out what's the better theory, what you do is you trade off simplicity in various respects against how much you can explain, roughly. And so, I think naturalism makes the most makes the best deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the starting point is sort of easy. Everyone thinks there's the natural world. Some people add on more, but that's a cost, mm. right? Now, you may think that the cost gets repaid in various ways, or you might not. Mm. You disagree, perhaps, Greg? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, I disagree. I don't, I don't have that same weighting of, you know, simplicity and things like that, but this is also something that I find really hard to make judgments about. You know, judgments about overall simplicity and cost and benefit between theories. Uh, I mean, I don't find the, the picture of, you know, a natural-only world in that way kind of compelling. Uh, but, I mean, part of that could be the, the, you know, religious views that I have, but part of it could also be that I'm a logician and I spend my, you know, a lot of my time in the abstract world and things like that, which... So uh, just to clarify, you said logician. I said logician, yeah, not, not magician. Mag- yeah, right. uh, <laughs> not, not any other magician, but <laughs> I, I do logic and, you know, mathematics and stuff like that, which yeah. is a different, a very different world to kind of live in. So, but it is also... Uh, Graham is actually more of an expert than me when it comes to metaphysics and theories. That's not something that, that I have spent a great deal of my time professionally uh kind of worrying about uh so i don't have the same judgments uh but then i don't trust my own judgments about 
you know, theory cost in the same sort of way. Uh, so that's a point of disagreement, that you make different calls on Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, yeah, and that's something where generally, you know, when philosophers say, oh, you know, I trade the costs and benefits in different ways, that's something where we're just putting our kind of cards on the table and we're then doing the constructive, you know, compare this theory with that theory, how does it go? So then do you have reasons then for why you believe? Yeah. And you think obviously they persuade you? Yeah, they don't persuade everybody, but yes, uh, yeah. Uh, for me, I'm a Christian. Uh, I, I believe in God because I'm a Christian. I believe in God because, you know, the Jesus of the New Testament is kind of compelling. I don't actually fundamentally get into God talk first because of an abstract reason for, um, you know, abstract argumentation for the existence of God or anything like that, although those, they're kind of interesting and they tell me things about the way that the concepts are being used and are connected and things like that. But fundamentally, I believe in God because I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus and he believed in God, <laughs> uh, uh, which is a very... It's not a very academic thing to say uh, in one sense, but if somebody's going to you know, tell me how to you know, get into that, it's, it's like actually to get onto ground which I'm academically safe on. It's like if somebody asks me why do I believe in numbers and things like this, I'm not going to just get them into the abstract arguments between the Platonists and the Nominalists about the existence of numbers. I'm going to actually, you know, show, some, show them some, you know, what, things that you can do with arithmetic and say, oh, you know, it's for reasons of, you know, getting into talk about two and four and plus and times and all of that kind of stuff that number talk kind of makes sense. And then, hey, you know, there's a number between two and four. We call it three. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got no, into philosophy of mathematics no, 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 there. philosophy of mathematics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another question's come in from our text line from our live audience. Um, how do we have conversations on such a big question with those who say, I just know or who rely on feelings. I feel him in my life, heart, etc. Not everyone wants to have logical arguments. Um, is that a, a challenge for your field, I suppose, Graham, but not people who don't actually even want to engage in logical arguments? I don't think it's a problem. It just means they're not interested in the kinds of conversations that I like having all the time. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> so small talk there is going to be a bit, a bit challenging, I suppose. That's right, yeah. Um, what do you think, Greg? Yeah, I, look, people believe things for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, just because I think that, you know, sharpening your concepts and having conversations and uh, learning through disagreement, you know, that, that, that takes some skills to be able to do. On the other hand, sometimes uh, if something is not just going to be an expression of uh, a feeling but is going to be a little bit more than that, then it's got to sort of hang together with some of the other things that they believe. And it's when that happens that it's at least connected to, you know, reasons and things like that. So it's like somebody that just, uh, you know, it's the difference between somebody that, you know, believes that their partner loves them despite all of the terrible things that they've done and when they try and articulate everything they realise that actually, you know, their relationship has been a lie all of the time but they just have the feeling. Mm. And then uh, there's other things where, no, I, this is what it means for me to, you know, be loved by this person. That's, mm. that's connected to other things. Uh, if... If it's not just, uh, you know, like a jersey that you wear of your favourite team, 
but is an expression actually of what you believe, then there is a sense in which this has got to be connected to your other beliefs in some sort of way. Now, Greg, you've mentioned that you are a Christian believer, but isn't Jesus himself part of the problem in this conversation? Because he claims to be a divisive force. So, for example, in the book of Luke, which is one of the four Mm -hmm. biographies of Jesus' life, in chapter 12 he says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and so on. So this is a controversial uh, element, I suppose, to Jesus' character. Does it surprise you that he admits to being a divisive force? No, that doesn't surprise me because I've read that passage before. no, I mean, Jesus was, you know, if you read any of the gospel stories, you see that Jesus was bringing a kind of revolution of some kind or other, and that this, you know, was going to make a difference in people's lives and not everybody was going to agree. Now, he also, you know, said to his disciples, now put away your swords, it's not that kind of revolution. Uh, so, you know, the kind of disagreements that we have, um, be aware that, you know, when it comes to matters of ultimate significance, not everybody's going to agree, uh, but that doesn't mean that we resolve those disagreements by, you know, figuring out who's got the biggest stick or sword. Yeah. So does it make it harder to have conversations about God when Jesus is such a divisive character, though, do you think? Oh, it makes it more interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, harder, yeah. I mean, if you're a conflict-averse person like me, yes, uh, but apparently being a conflict-averse person is probably not the best if you're an academic philosopher anyway. Uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, but, but actually, you know, any, any religious views tend to, tend to, to be you know, have this sort of, con- yeah. uh, have this sort of, you know, uh, possibility for conflict because they are things where, you know, their attitudes, their expressions of fundamental attitudes and views of the world and they're important and they're things which don't come, you know, just naturally to everybody. Mm. Yeah. So what are your thoughts then, Graham? So for many believers, the life and uh, work of the person of Jesus is the most persuasive reason to believe often in God. How legitimate is that reason to believe, do you think? And do you think it's um, more or less likely to persuade than traditional philosophical arguments? What are your thoughts on the person of Jesus? So on the question about persuasion, one thing that other people are going to think about, well, okay, so there's Jesus, but there's also Buddha and there's Muhammad and there's... Confucius, and there's a whole bunch of other people as well. And you've got to make your choice if you're going to go down one of those routes, right? So persuasion looks kind of different then. But if someone's made a choice and they've gone down a particular route, well, then that's what's happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So but you never find the figure of Jesus more or less persuasive than philosophical arguments, do you think? Or or is that just... um Something that you don't really consider in the schools of philosophy. So I think I'm with Greg. I think reasons are actually very important in being able to articulate them. And so even if your reading of scripture is the thing that you think sort of lies at the basis of your belief, you still better be able to say something about the reasons why you find this. Mm. So you think reasons are important? You think reasons are important, Greg? Uh, and and um, it's connected to what I was saying before and what Graham was saying. Uh, it's one thing for me to, you know, just say something because, you know, my team says it. But if it actually means something, then 
if I believe that you know God created the world, as it were, uh, then that is viewing the world in a particular kind of way, and it's viewing God in a particular kind of way. It's viewing God as somehow you know prior to the world and being sort of out there, as it were, and that actually means that you know if God exists, it's an objective reality and not just a matter of opinion, which is a very different thing than thinking of God as sort of a projection of a subjective ideal or something, which would be a very different way of understanding uh, the use of God talk. So I don't think it's a matter of just one or another. Uh, it's, you know, I think that arguments and reasons and things are helpful for us to try and make sense of what it is that we are saying, whether it's things that we are finding that we are saying because of, you know, originally irrational or not, uh, not for argument reasons, or whether it's things that we have been reasoned into. Mm. Another question's come in, uh, which I'll direct to you, Graham, which is goes back to the point about persuasion and disagreement. So why is there value in disagreement? And if there is value in it, shouldn't I give up trying to persuade people of my view? Maybe part of what's worth thinking about here is what's the point of conversation? Why do you get into conversations? I think if you, the, whenever you get into conversation, your sole purpose is to persuade the other person to come around to your way of thinking, then you're probably not doing conversation correctly. <laughs> <That's> the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And do you think that's part of the problem for why sometimes our conversations aren't yeah. very good? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. There's the value in disagreement, but still uh, you need to listen as well, perhaps? Yes. Yeah, and sometimes it's uh, useful to just figure out that other people actually don't see things the same way that you do and that you learn something and to learn that you agree here and disagree there. That's you've learned something. Mm. Um, another question for you, Graham, is um, what does Graham say about the common view that all religions are essentially the same? There, there have been contemporary philosophers, so John Hick would be yeah. one example who, of someone who tries to argue that at some very deep level sort of, yeah. the, there's a, a, a bunch of truths that are shared by all of the religions. I think that's a very hard view to defend. And if you don't go down Hick's route, then it's just kind of obvious to inspection that there's massive disagreement. Pick any pair of religions and they disagree about a huge number of things. Yeah, yeah. OK. So we've talked a lot about the content of our conversations about God. Perhaps maybe we should move on to some of the manner. Now, some philosophers propose that we ought to become intellectually virtuous in our approach to knowledge by becoming epistemically humble. Well, what does that mean? There's a couple of comments in the audience, oh, epistemically humble, that sounds like a nice thing to do. What does that mean? What would that mean? Let, let me take a slightly different angle on this. Sure. Because um, I'm, sure, I'm not sure that epistemic humility is exactly the right concept here. What I think you need is something like conversational humility. What matters is how you engage with other people when you're talking to them. Sure. I mean, epistemic humility suggests some kind of added, sort of internal attitude to the way that you're thinking about things. And it's a bit hard to know what that would be, that you should yeah. be a bit less certain than you were before, but why nothing about the evidential situations changed or anything like that. But conversational humility makes lots of sense. And epistemic humility, it's not clear exactly what it would be, but it's got something to do with 
the way that you believe. And I find that hard to make much sense of, but I can make much more sense of the idea that in your engagements with other people, if you listen, you think about what they say, um, you sort of encourage them to say more about what their views are, there's a whole lot of things like that that I would count as kind of practices of conversational Com humility. Conversational humility. Well, perhaps. That would seem to me to be something that's really worth pursuing. Mm. Anyway, that's the... Um, well, Greg, the Old Testament wisdom book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So does the idea that wisdom comes with humility resonate with you? Yeah. Yeah. I also think that there might be a kind of epistemic humility that is important, at least in the willingness to, to be informed and to learn from somebody else, to think that you don't have a unique grasp on what's true and maybe a, a receptivity to possibly learn something from another. And one thing that I like in that kind of vocabulary from Proverbs is that the notion of wisdom is, is kind of a, an attitude of a proper handling and, and knowing how to judge things in the right sort of way where in this case, I think it's being just understanding that you have a particular place in the world. You know, for me, as a, as a believer, I'm going to say that as, you know, God's God and I'm not. Uh, I do not have the view of everything that there is, that God has put everyone here in this world and they're in different positions and have got different perspectives on things. And I have the opportunity of learning something in uh, you know, having a conversation with them. Mm. Uh, now, that's not because I think that there isn't a God or being an agnostic about God, but it's because I have this view that I can have this kind of trust that I, or have this understanding that I don't understand everything. But, I mean, does that mean that you can't ever hold anything with certainty? Oh, no. Uh, it doesn't mean that. Uh, and th that's so the how, other how part that I do agree with from Graham. Of course, uh, you know, two plus two is four. I'm certain of that. You can still be humble. I'm very humble. <laughs> <laughs> two plus two is very humbly four. But there's a difference between a mathematical equation that we can prove yeah, versus I mean, like, belief I'm, in God or something. Yeah, and, and there's a sense in which I'm certain that God exists. That doesn't mean that I'm not open to the possibility of being convinced otherwise or something else like this or finding an argument that I find difficult to deal with. But, you know, my belief in God is pretty sort of low down in my list of... Uh, you know, f more fundamental things uh, than others. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily have the best way of articulating that, that I'm going to never learn from people that disagree with me or that I think that um, I'm an authority on that or anything else like that. They're all very different things. Mm. You can think that you're really right and recognise... I mean, think of your own political views and everything like that. It's, uh, you know, I have got certain views about how the country should be run and I recognise that not everybody else agrees with them. And that if I sort of go around just, you know, parading my political views and thinking that everybody's an idiot that disagrees with me, well, I'm not going to have any mm. friends uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to persuade people. Well, you'll have friends just like you, perhaps. Or maybe well, you I wouldn't want to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> But then that comes back to the point that, so for you, you mentioned that your Christian faith helps you to uh, balance those things about being convinced or being persuaded of the truth of something, but still dealing with humility and respect of others who disagree with you. 
Yeah, I mean, and for me, it's the kind of the difference between having faith in God and having faith in my own faith. You know, my own tradition says that, you know, it's God that saves me. It's not, my own, it's not even my own belief in God that saves me, mm. uh, which I think is, a, you know, is something that is very easy for Christians to confuse. Uh, but, you know, on the, you know the, in the creed that I say and everything, it's God that created the world, not my concept of God, <laughs> uh, which is really good because my concept of God is sometimes really shaky and I don't really know, you know what it is that I'm believing. Now, not, which is not to say that I think that people that don't believe in God can't be humble. You can get to the same conclusion from lots of mm. different ways. So, Graham, what do you think then? Did this idea that wisdom and is connected to humil- humility, is that something that resonates with you? Yes, I don't think it's that there's any necessary connection between being humble and yeah. being wise, but probably the other way around. I think yeah. if you acquire wisdom, probably humility will come with is that. that. Is yeah. A way of yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you, can be, you can be humble and just have a heck of yeah. wrong view of the yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Now, we've, we've talked about all of these topics uh, which are deeply held, uh, but there's things like cognitive biases and emotions and things which do impact how we talk about things. So how, are these factors significant, Graham? Uh, unless the studies turn out to be problematic, I think that there's a huge amount of social scientific research, in particular psychological research, that just shows that there are all kinds of biases that are everywhere, very widespread. and you would have to have a certain lack of humility to think that none of them affect you. you all of right. you, not me. So yeah. it would be a particularly un, not, not a particularly humble thing to say that I'm not affected by cognitive bias. Yeah. So we're all affected by biases. So just, how do we therefore work out what's true then if we're just biased with our preconceptions? Okay, so, so one part of this... Um, how does science work, given the cognitive biases of scientists? Well, there the institutions of science tend to help us overcome the biases that individual scientists have. That's only a partial answer because that tells you how we do it with science. It doesn't tell you how you do it elsewhere. Mm. There's another question, which is connected to biases, etc., and trying to weigh arguments. Yeah. So Greg talked about the compelling historical person of Jesus, Graham about personally weighing arguments, both of these seem quite personal. How important is objectivity for coming to truth about the ultimate things? Is this even possible? Graham. Okay, this is a good question to ask philosophers, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so because... Shut yourselves in, guys. Because Shut yourselves in. <laughs> what, 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 what I think is that it's kind of characteristic of philosophy that it's all of those areas where we don't agree about claims and we don't agree about the methods for giving answers to those claims. There are lots of things historically that were in that category that aren't anymore because eventually we figured out methods and eventually agreement on some of the claims. It's very hard to predict what progress there might be in the future, but it seems to me for large branches of philosophy that agreement just isn't on the cards at all. Right Now, that's, that's not to say that there's no truth of the matter. Right, it's just to say that agreement isn't on the cards. Yeah. So if by objective you meant we could all agree on what the methods and the techniques and everything, the, the way of deciding things are, then we're probably not going to find that. But if by objective you mean there is a reality out there that we're trying to describe, then, you know, Graham and I are on the same side on this one. We think that there is one, which is what makes this an interesting discussion because we think that there is an objective reality that we have different subjective views on and different views of trying to evaluate what they are. 
are, uh, and we think it's worthwhile having engaging in sharing of perspectives on this because it's a shared world that we're trying to make sense of. Mm. We've talked about some pretty weighty topics tonight, but does it matter at all what we believe? Does it matter? Maybe it depends a little bit which side you're on, how much <laughs> you think it matters. Yeah. Right. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't think that I've got any particular reasons for caring if there are lots of people who disagree with me on the kinds of things that we've been talking about tonight. If you're on the other side and you're of a certain cast of mind, it might bother you deeply. Mm. Is that how you'd see it, Greg? Oh, I think it's... Uh, Yes and no. Uh, sorry, I'm That's a philosopher. That's a philosopher's answer, isn't it? I'm a philosopher. <laughs> uh, I'm a philosopher but I, and I'm a religious believer. So in one sense, I think, yes, it makes a real big difference to people if they believe in God. On the other hand, um, I believe that, you know, it's actually God that saves people, not their beliefs in God uh, that saves people ultimately and fundamentally. But I do think it's kind of you know, you're making the world and your views of the world and things like this, you know, you're making hassles for yourself if you just say, oh, no, I don't need to believe in God, it's not really important or anything like that. Another question's come in from our text lines. Uh, is, is Jesus a model of humility and is this the same as the conversational humility being proposed here? What do you think, Greg? Jesus is a really interesting fellow here. Uh, you know, he was a religious teacher. He was you know, a man on a mission, and you wouldn't say in one sense that he was, you know, uh, backward in coming forward about what his views were. On the other hand, you see the way that he carried himself and the way that, you know, given somebody with their, you know, abilities and, uh, you know, intellect and, you know, persuasion and everything. It's kind of interesting that he said that the, the thing that he was going to be doing was getting a, a band of lower class followers, uh, you know, working class people that were fishermen and he was going to change the world that way. In one sense, that's a very humble sort of thing to do. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's something which is not attempting to, you know, persuade people by means of violent political overthrow. Uh, it was a very different kind of way of being in the world, and that fundamentally is a, a very different way of engaging in the world than, you know, military power or uh, trying to take over the power structures of religion or the mm. state or anything else mm. like that. Well, Greg and Graham, it's been a fantastic conversation tonight. So the final question, so to our philosophers, how do we learn to have better conversations about God? We'll start with you, Graham. How do you learn? Maybe by watching other people model having good conversations about God. I'm not sure. That might be a sunny part. But I think some of the things that I mentioned before, I mean, it's important, it's important to listen. It's important to want to understand the points of views of others from the inside, right, to know, so that you can sort of understand, as it were, where they're coming from. That's a really important part of having better conversations, having that goal, I think. Yeah, so it's great. And there's also an element of just, you know, putting yourself out there and but but thinking about having a conversation as, you know, laying some cards on the table and seeing what the different positions are and just also, you know, having that two pers that, that those two different perspectives of wanting to express yourself but also wanting to, you know, see what the options are and see what the different views are and if you can manage to, you know, go between those two perspectives and hold both of them, then you're well on the way to being able to, you know, have productive conversations. 
Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's wisdom to help us learn to have better conversations about God from Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guests today, Professors Graham Oppie and Greg Restall. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.